This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org. The scripture reading this afternoon is taken from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 1 to 36. The verses 7 to 36 are the text for this afternoon's Thanksgiving sermon. But we read then from the beginning of the chapter in order to understand the context of this psalm of thanks. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. After David had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave a loaf of bread a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each Israelite man and woman. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition to give thanks and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, Zechariah second, then Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Mataniah, Eliab, Benaniah, Obed-Edom, and Jael. They were to play the lyres and harps. Asaph was to sound the cymbals. And Benaiah and Jehazael, the priests, were to blow the trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant God. That day, David first committed to Asaph and his associates this psalm of thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Israel, his servants, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord, our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no man to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering. And come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. 
Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then the trees of the forest will sing. They will sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations. That we may give thanks to your holy name. That we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you looked on your calendars, you would see it there. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving Day throughout the land of Canada. It's a special time of year when we, as a nation, stop or are supposed to stop and give thanks. But to whom do we give thanks today? Who is the object of our thanksgiving? Sadly, for an ever-increasing number of people, the answer is, I don't know, or it's ourselves, Or maybe it's Lady Luck. Many people don't know what to do with Thanksgiving Day anymore. And others, when they look back, see only themselves and their own achievements. And then there are those who think that they should somehow give thanks to an impersonal, superstitious source. Beloved, that's what happens when a country more and more turns its back on God. Instead of thanking him, it either doesn't thank at all, or it thanks the wrong people or forces. And yet, beloved, that is not the model that the Holy Scriptures present to us this afternoon, nor for that matter any day. Everywhere from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, they remind us that God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe and of our lives as well. He's the only true, right, proper, fitting object of our praise and our thanksgiving. Yes, and one of the best examples of that is to be found in a very old and much neglected book of the Bible. I'm thinking here of the book of Chronicles that we generally don't spend a lot of time in, and I'm thinking of the first book and the 16th chapter. You can say, in a manner of speaking, that there we come face to face with another example of real and true thanksgiving. And so do you want to know how to make the most of tomorrow? Do you want to have a truly memorable and fitting Thanksgiving day? Then join with me as we examine what it is that should characterize that day. I preach to you on the following theme, King David's ancient psalm teaches us about thanksgiving today. And we're going to recall God's deeds, declare God's glory, celebrate God's 
goodness. Now, beloved, right at the very beginning, let us be upfront about something, and that is that our text is not your normal Thanksgiving Day text. You'll notice it doesn't say anything about crops, about farms or farmers. It doesn't say anything about harvest or fields. Neither does it say anything about work or business or standards of living or affluence or prosperity. It's not that kind of text. But rather, what you find here in 1 Chronicles 16 represents a different kind of thanksgiving. And indeed, that's why we read the verses 1 to 6, for they tell us that this particular thanksgiving had everything to do with the Ark of the Covenant of God finally, finally coming into Jerusalem. Why, you can even say that this is all about God himself coming to his to Jerusalem. The God of all creation is coming to set up, as it were, residence on the earth in his holy city and among his holy people. And that's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? That the God of heaven and earth, the God who lives in unapproachable light, the God whom no man has seen or can see, the God of absolute holiness and righteousness decides to live here on this earth among a sinful people. That's the most profound and amazing development. And David, King David, thinks so as well. And that's why he composed this particular psalm of thanksgiving that you find here in 1 Chronicles 16. Actually, though, if you noticed, it's not a totally new composition at all. Actually, it's kind of a recycled psalm. David takes a part of Psalm 96 and a part of Psalm 105, a part of Psalm 106, psalms which he had previously composed, and he combines them together. And then, of course, some of you may be thinking at this point, well, what does all of this have to do with Thanksgiving Day tomorrow? What lessons does it teach us? What truths does it reveal? Well, in the first place, if you look at this psalm of David in some detail and for some time, you'll notice that this is a psalm that is all, in the first place, about God, who is the only fitting object of praise and worship in all of the world. And then the first lesson is this. This God is very much a God of action and interaction. In other words, he doesn't just sit in the heavens. He's not simply high up, isolated, indifferent, totally objective, not really caring about what happens on the earth. No, he sees and he hears and he evaluates and he acts. You'll notice that's what David refers to in the beginning of this psalm. He refers to what God has done to his acts, to his wonders, to his miracles, to his judgments. And I think you know what he's referring to. He's referring to his, his deeds of creation, his acts of preservation, his wonders and miracles in nature, sunshine and rain, seed and growth, harvest and food. 
And in addition, David's also thinking of God's judgments. Think of the flood. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think of what he did to Egypt, that ancient superpower. Think of what he did to the Moabites and the Amalekites and the Canaanites. And in David's own time, to the Philistines. In short, the God of David, the God of the Old Testament, is a very active God. The world has his attention. The world receives his care. The world experiences his power and his might and his majesty. Yes, and that is something not just of long ago. No, it continued to be that way. After King David died, this God continued to work and to act, to perform miracles and wonders and to send judgments. Think of how he preserves the house of Judah. Think of of how he works through the prophecies of Elijah and Elisha in a most miraculous fashion. Think of how he deals with all those foreign nations and especially with his own nation. And even more than that, think of what he did in the fullness of time. And how he sent his one and only son into the world. You see, beloved, in a sense, all of God's deeds and all of God's acts and his judgments, they climax in the sending of his son. Jesus Christ is God. And he is, in a sense, at the same time, the greatest work of God. And so, beloved, our God is living and active, and if you will, in modern jargon, interactive. And that applies today as well. How is it that, the Lord willing, tomorrow we will be able to celebrate another Thanksgiving Day? How is it that another year of growth and business and harvest lies behind us? How is it that our life continues to unfold day by day? It's all about and all because of the living God. He continues to uphold and to govern all things. But then, beloved, if the first lesson here is that our God is living and active There is another lesson here as well, and that is that this God of action and interaction is also very much the God of the covenant. That's what David makes clear in the verses 14 to 22. Three times he uses the word covenant, and he he adds that God remembers his covenant, that God confirmed his covenant, that God made it into an everlasting covenant. Now, for us Reformed folk, all of that is... Familiar stuff. We've heard it time and time again. In spite of that, however, are you aware that there are many who consider themselves Bible-believing believers who look surprised when this particular word is mentioned, this word covenant. During my trip to China, this came up. And when we spoke to believers there about the word covenant, they looked at us as if to say, what in the world are you talking about? A few of them had heard the word, but most of them didn't know what to do with it, how to work with it, how to understand it, or how to apply it. 
And that, after all, is surprising. This is a word that appears more than 300 times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And even more than that is the Bible not made up of Old Testament and New Testament. And what is the word testament but another word for covenant? Perhaps to get the message we should scratch out in all of our Bibles that word testament. And write covenant. And maybe then we would begin to understand that the Bible is the book of God's covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. But then if this ignorance is surprising, it's also something else that's rather disappointing. You might ask yourself, why does David introduce the matter of covenant into this particular psalm of thanks? Well, beloved, he wants, he does so because he wants to stress that the great God of creation has entered into a special relationship with some of his creatures. That's why David said, he set Abraham aside. He swore an oath to Isaac. He issued a decree to Jacob. He made a covenant with the house of Israel. And what's so special about that? Well, look, to enter into a covenant with someone means that you you enter into a binding relationship with someone else that you are, as it were, giving yourself to someone else. This is that special relationship filled with all manner of promises and commitments and assurances and blessings. And David mentioned some of them. In verse 18, he refers to the gift of the land. He also speaks about the reality of an inheritance. There is the blessing of protection that you find described in the verses 21 to 22. And he says, the sons of Jacob become the chosen ones of God, verse 13. They're special. And who are the sons of Jacob today? Who are the children of Abraham Who are in covenant with God today? Why, all of you, believers, and your seed. And is that not something to savor and to rejoice in? All of us who believe in this great God, thanks to the work of the Spirit, and by the power of Jesus Christ, are in covenant with God. You have God in your life, on your side. You may experience His presence. You receive His salvation. You possess His promises of forgiveness, righteousness, and life. Beloved, what makes this and every thanksgiving special is the knowledge that not only is there God, but that this God has become our covenant God and Father in Jesus Christ. And all that we have received throughout this past season is a gift from Him. Every material and spiritual gift comes down to us from above. From the Father of the heavenly lights. 
Yes, and every help comes down as well. Help in the midst of sorrow. Help in the face of sickness. Help when confronted with temptation. You know, beloved, what a great thing it is to know that as a believer in Jesus Christ, our lives are wrapped in covenant. Covenant mercies, covenant blessings, covenant promises, covenant assurances. The God of creation is our God. We may claim him. We may call upon him. We may build our lives on the God of covenant. But then, beloved, if Thanksgiving Day represents a celebration of God and of his deeds and his gifts, it also involves something else. And you find that something else in the verses 23 to 29. If you ask what it is, well, it's tied, and you can see that, to the words sing, proclaim, declare, and ascribe. What do all these words imply? Well, actually, they imply that this God of creation and of covenant does not want to remain a hidden or an unknown God. Look at the verses 23 and following. He he wants his people to sing to him, and he wants all the earth to sing to him. Verse 23, he wants his glory and his marvelous deeds declared among all the nations. Verse 24, he wants his greatness and fame to spread in such a way that all the idols pale in comparison. Verse 25, he wants everyone to know that splendor and majesty, strength and joy surround him and are part of him. Verse 27, Indeed, he wants everyone, every family, every nation on earth to give him glory. But how does that happen? How does God get glory? How does he receive his holy due? Well, as I think of it, there are actually only two ways that happens. The first has to do with creation. Think here of Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, when you look at creation, when you look at the mountains and the stars and the hills and the streams and the fields and the animals and everything, you cannot help but see the glorious hand of the Creator. Isn't that true? Isn't that obvious? Not to the editors of Time Magazine. I'm not sure whether any of you saw the latest edition. October 9th, 2006, the headline reads, How We Became Human. And on the front cover, there is a picture of a chimp and a baby. And, of course, that article is filled with all sorts of weird speculations and conjectures. But you know, the striking thing about it all is that it says absolutely nothing about God. Many modern biologists, anthropologists, and paleontologists do not see the glory of God either in the heavens or in the makeup of man, God's greatest creation. 
They're blind to the glory of God. And yet in spite of all of this intellectual ignorance, they cannot suppress the fact that the creation, as it were, screams about the glory of God every day. Every day, every moment. It tells us in a thousand different ways that there is more to creation than chance or luck or evolution. Above all, there is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so, beloved, one of the ways in which God's glory becomes obvious is when you look at his creation. But there's also another way. A second way that should be just as effective, as a matter of fact, even more effective. And it has to do with the task of God's creatures, and that means us human beings in particular. Even more, you can say, it has to do with the task of God's redeemed children. Who better to sing the praises of the Heavenly Father than we, the objects of His grace and mercy in Jesus Christ? Many years ago, Edmund Clowney, the president of Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, addressed a a large crowd of students from all over the world in Urbana, Illinois. And he did so on the basis of the text of Psalm 96, as well as 1 Chronicles 16, 23 to 29. And he began his speech by saying, Ladies and gentlemen, your international anthem. What he really was saying is that those words declare his glory to the nations. That's our anthem. It's not simply God save the Queen or O Canada. It transcends that. We are to declare his glory to the nations. We are to present his marvelous deeds among all peoples. That's our anthem. And what bearing does all of that have in Thanksgiving 2006? Surely it should remind us that we should become much more assertive when it comes to speaking about our God to others. Of course, tomorrow we shall bow our heads and we shall give thanks to him for all of his bounty and goodness. That's what is expected of us on Thanksgiving Monday. But what about Tuesday? What about when we go back to work and back to business and back to school and when we live in our neighborhoods and when we're in the public square? How shall we declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous deeds among all the peoples if we never open wide our mouths? May I be so bold as to assert that truly thankful people are neither silent people nor invisible people. But truly thankful people are bold and outspoken. They're not afraid and they're not ashamed to give honor and glory and tribute to the Lord. Living in covenant with our great God 
That means it's time to get over our hesitation, our insecurities and our fears. And it's time to declare as glory. The creation does it. We should do it even more and even better and clear. But then, beloved, if recalling God's deeds and declaring God's glory is part of true thanksgiving, so is one more thing, and that is celebrating God's goodness. Now, how do we do that? Well, turn with me to the verses 29b to 36. And and what do you see in the last part of our text? How does David propose that covenant children of old and redeemed believers in Christ Jesus acknowledge and celebrate God's goodness? Now, notice he says the first thing is the offering of gifts. Verse 29b, bring an offering, and come before him. That means thankful people are generous people as well. Having received everything from God, they desire to give back to God a token to show their appreciation. They never want to come to him with empty hands. But open hearts and hands in offering. But if first there is offering, then second, David says, there is also worship. Verse 29c, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In other words, thankful people make it a point to come together regularly with God's people in corporate worship. And, of course, there is personal worship and there is family worship. But here, when it refers to the splendor of his holiness, it refers to the faithful coming together of God's people. Sabbath after Sabbath, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, to worship him. And third, you can see, beloved, there is humility and awe. Verse 30, tremble before him all the earth. Why do we tremble before him? Because of his greatness, holiness, majesty. And it is, of course, true that God is our Father in Jesus Christ and that we may approach him freely and confidently every day. But it is equally true that we are not his equal and he is not our buddy. In the Christian life, awe and fellowship hang together in a kind of holy tension in which we realize who God is in all of his splendor. And fourth, David says, there is also prayer. We go back to verse 11 of our text and the call to look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. In a way, that's a command. That's a calling. We have this daily calling to lift our eyes above the uncertainties as well as the unpleasantness of this life and to look up to God. 
And when we do that, David said, what is the result? Well, the result, he says, is strengths. His strengths. Strengths from above to support our lives here below. And who of us can live without it? But you know, this is not only a command, it's also, you can say, an invitation. Seek his face always. And it doesn't matter what, and it doesn't matter when. Every day, and always, you have access to him. You can thank him for his gifts of love and forgiveness and mercy and truth, health, food and harvest. And you can ask him for strength to deal with poor health, with the limitations of old age, with the sorrows of a broken heart, with the burden of a lonely life, with the pain of a broken marriage, or with the disappointment of children gone astray. Bring it all to him. That's an Old Testament invitation and it's reasserted in the New Testament when the Lord Jesus says himself, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so David says, in this goodness of God, there is prayer, wonderful prayer. Rest for our souls. And finally, there is praise to abundant praise and universal praise. It begins with a singing heaven, verse 31, that the heavens rejoice. And I think that's a reference both to stars and to angels singing the praises of God. And it continues with a singing creation, verse 31, that the earth be glad, let the seas resound, David says, and all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and all that is in them. And then the trees of the forest will sing and they will sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Beautiful poetic language, the seas and the fields. And the trees and all creation is singing the praise of its maker. And notice, beloved, it concludes with a singing church. Verse 10, that the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then all the people said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Beloved, if tomorrow you're wondering how you should respond to your great, gracious, and abundantly merciful God in Jesus Christ, And I think here you have an answer. Bring him the offering of your substance and of your heart. Bring him your worship today and every day. Bring him your humility and your awe. Bring him your prayers. And above all, bring him 
your praise. And together they'll turn Thanksgiving 2006 into a true celebration of God's goodness and a true expression of your thankfulness. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.